0: Hello and welcome to the Sioux Nation podcast. I'm your Sioux Nation Ag Center host, Jill Funky. With me on the show today is Dan Faber, Vice President of Faber's Farm Equipment in Inwood, Iowa and Watertown, South Dakota. Thanks for joining us, Dan.
1: Thanks for having me, Jill.
0: You bet. Now, on this program, we've talked a lot about livestock production on this program. And we've interviewed vets, nutritionists, production consultants, state officials, and lots of ag enthusiasts. But to date, I don't think we've ever talked about ag from the large equipment side of the industry. So on this episode, we kind of want to take a look at what it takes to keep producers in the field and what they can do to make the most out of their relationship with their implement dealer. So Dan, now your family... Has been in the farm equipment industry for quite some time. Can you describe for our listeners how Faber's Farm Equipment got its start, and then you know how you personally got started with the business?
1: Sure. So we've been doing this for a long time. Faber's originally was called Ron's Machinery way back. Uh, that was when my grandpa was running it. He had started in 1983. Primarily doing mostly used equipment and some smaller new equipment. Then when he suddenly passed away in 97, my dad had made the decision that he wanted to continue with it. But there really wasn't a lot of plans in place at that time. So he ended up almost starting from scratch again and we renamed it to Faber's Farm Equipment. And literally got it started again about six months after uh, my grandpa Ron had passed away. So that was how we've kind of come to be. Now, me and my brother-in-law are also part owners in the business with my dad, and we're trying to continue just like any family farm. You know, we passed it on from generation to generation.
0: Sure, and that can take a lot. You know, the succession plan on that isn't always super easy.
1: No, it's not, especially when you have a grandpa that he was a busy guy. He At that time, he was tied up in cattle, machinery, and land, along with doing custom work for people as well. So at that time... Succession planning really was not thought of a lot. So we really didn't blame him for not having a succession plan, but at the same time, it made it really difficult to pass it on from one to the next. And now with us being involved with my dad, we knew that we wanted to make sure that there was some sort of a succession plan involved.
0: So now your first store is in Inwood, and then you did open a second location in Watertown, South Dakota. When was that?
1: So we actually started Watertown about six years ago. And the original reason we opened that was we had become quite large partners with Crone. And Crone definitely with their hay and forge equipment, they wanted to expand. They saw the need because they saw a lot of dairies that were looking in that I-29 corridor area. And they really highly suggested that we go there and they knew that we would do a good job with it. So we came to an agreement and we went ahead with it. Uh, It wasn't as well orchestrated as what people might think it might be, (laughs) but because literally we had just done an expansion project in Inwood probably the year before. So the last thing we really wanted to do was go and put up another building someplace else. But The demand is definitely in that area, and we saw it, and we thought, who better to partner with than with Crohn on that? So we went ahead and did that.
0: So you mentioned that you're the third generation of Fabers that has been running this business. So can you tell me... Because personally, I know you, Dan, I guess full disclosure, (laughs) Um, but can can you tell me why do you think that Fabers attracts and retains customers, especially this is a competitive market? How do you feel like you guys are able to do that to retain and then keep those customers from in the field?
1: The first thing we always look at ourselves is when we look at these giant dealerships and conglomerates that are out there now, we're a very small fish in the pond. And from a customer standpoint, that can be a bad thing because maybe they don't think we have the resources that other places do that are much bigger. But at the same time, we also feel like we probably offer a little better service. And at the end of the day, if somebody has a question on their bill or whether it's a question about equipment, they know they can walk into my office, they can sit down and we're just going to be as upfront and honest with them as we can. So when they are looking for equipment, they definitely keep in mind the service and what we were offering and the parts and everything else that we can offer along with. And the personalized service, I guess, is probably one of the biggest things.
0: Sure. And so when you talk about that, staffing is one of the many challenges that most employers are facing right now. And Fabers is an employer, just like most other businesses. So, you know, we've got some staffing, we've got supply chain issues, the ag markets have been extremely volatile. How do you guys do it then? Because you're talking about how you compete with the larger entities. right? How do you find those employees? that are just like yourself so that you can retain these customers?
1: So everybody knows over the last three years, there's been a lot of challenges, whether it's supply chain issues or employees keeping staff, things of that sort. The number one thing that I do say to all my employees when we run into these issues is you identified the problem. Now give me your idea for a solution. I don't only want to know the problem if you have an idea for a solution, pitch it to me because I want to know. Otherwise, I will do my homework and my research to see once what I can come up with for a solution. But there's always a solution. It's not always the quickest, the fastest, or some as fast as maybe somebody wants it to be, but we'll eventually come with a solution.
0: Do you feel like employees, once they come up with a solution, if they're able to come up with a solution, do you feel like they're better than at fulfilling that solution?
1: Absolutely, and that I don't want to babysit my employees. If I have to micromanage every part of my business, I'd never get anything done. I'd chase my tail all day. By giving them that amount of leeway that they feel that they can go and do those things and not be questioned by me other than, okay, what do you think is the solution? That sounds like a great idea. Let's move forward with that and have that positive interaction with them.
0: Right. It's very empowering.
1: Absolutely. You can't keep them on a short leash and and expect them to perform to their best. We've actually been very blessed with our employees. It's kind of funny you bring that up because we had our Christmas party this past January. And I had a game that we played. And then after, and there was prizes for everybody. Then after everybody had gone through, I said, okay, whoever's been here for five plus years, get back up and let's play again. And you guys get another chance at it. And about half of my staff stood up and came. And I didn't even realize how fortunate we are that we've got that many people that have been with us for five plus years. And that, that says something I feel about how our culture is at our business. We, t- we try to take care of our employees. Now, supply chain issues, that's, that's a whole other animal. I don't know how to best explain that. There's some companies that have done all right, and then there's other companies that have really struggled. And it's really hard to go back on some of these manufacturers and get too upset because you know it's the simplest thing that stops a tractor or a chopper or anything like that to be built. And so you can't get this one simple little bearing, and now they can't assemble the rest of that machine. It is very frustrating. And there again, I challenge my manufacturers a lot of times. I said, now you identified the problem. What's our solution? What can we do to get past this? And there's times where we've we've actually sent tires and rims to some of our manufacturers to help them out. And, you know, we're a small fish in the pond, but they couldn't find them anywhere, but we had them. That's definitely an issue. The ag markets, they're going to go up and down. Right now, I think that those markets are going to considerably stay relatively steady. They've been moving some here lately, but you know, you or me, whatever we do, it, it, it ain't going to matter what we do, and those markets are going to move. One guy explained it to me best one time. He says, there's no money to be made when the market stays the same.
0: Now, let me ask you, it sounds like you treat your employees very well and they're empowered to do the things that they need to do. And particularly... You're not just selling shoes or something, and as a customer, you could be like, well, we're going to get those in on Tuesday, and I could be, oh, okay, I'll come back. You've got some of your customers are calling you from the field that broke down. How do you train your employees so that they realize, they understand and act as an agent of favors with that customer Correct. and really understand that that customer absolutely has to have that part.
1: I guess my feeling is is that we keep our line of communication open as much as possible. There's not a time that I hate meetings, I don't <laughs> like times. <laughs> so I tell all my guys, I'm not setting up meetings, but I figure on talking to you two to three times minimum a day. Because if I don't talk to you that much, then we're not keeping the lines open enough. Generally, my service manager, I'm going to end up talking to him probably a minimum of five to six times a day. My parts manager, generally, I'm going to be talking to him about the same. And it's not always about the most productive things, but I'm going to talk with them at some point. Now, when they identify a issue and you have a customer that absolutely has to have a part, you say, okay, we can either run it out to them, you know, or they can come here. Or if we don't have it in stock, what's our options for where we can get it? And can we get it overnight? And what's the cost on that overnight? I treat my customer's money like my money. There are times where it's counterproductive to save money on shipping when you've got a million dollar machine sitting still in the field too. <laughs> right. You know, that couple hundred bucks of overnight freight. <laughs> I think we should just do that. And then you also have to identify the customers that have something go down and you know that it's not the heart of the season. Your techs are busier than all get out. And you say, okay, we're going to schedule that for maybe three, four days down the road because our next three, four days are absolutely slammed and those guys have to run. So you have to delegate a little bit that way, which direction you're gonna go. And if you do have somebody go down, I I guess we make a big point of trying to keep loaner machines around and available. Last year, for instance, I purposely traded out a customer out of his chopper because I knew I couldn't get a new one. And I listed it for sale online but said it was not available until October. Specifically so, I knew I had a backup machine in case somebody were to go down. And by us doing that on a daily basis, our employees pick up on it. You walk them through the process of why you decide you're doing this. Eventually, you get to that point where most of those employees just figure it out on their own. They might mention something about renting out a machine just so I know what's here and what's available. But Mm -hmm. there again, I I give them a long leash to do a lot of stuff.
0: So what can you tell me then about the world of farm equipment since your grandpa started? How would you say that your approach might differ from them and really in response to any changes
1: over the years? You know, it's funny you ask that question, because I actually had that discussion with a customer here a few weeks ago. And... I still remember going with my grandpa on road trips, to auctions, things of that sort, farm auctions. And my job was always to to run up into the cab of the tractor, check the hours, let grandpa know. And so I was quite involved even at a younger age. But I still remember watching him sell a tractor to a gentleman. It was an older 1080, well at that time it was probably newer. (laughs) Uh, But it was a 1086 and it didn't look sharp. Uh, This thing had some scratches on the hood and kind of a few dents here and there. But my grandpa says, we just did the clutch and the torque. And so that's been done. Engine runs out solid. This thing is ready to go. And the guy says, well, could you take a rattle can and touch up those scratches on the hood? Yeah, we can do that. If I did that today... I would probably have some guys a little upset with me. Then we get to when my dad was in it. We did a lot of reconditioning and that tractor at that time, it had to look very nice, but they didn't want to break the bank to buy a new one. And so you went the extra step to do a lot more. You did a lot of interior work. There's a little right. tear in the seat or something like that. You always just you you took it out, you threw it away, you put a new one in. Now we're to a point, I feel like, that we've got to be very aware of what condition it's in all the way through, whether it's mechanical, all the way to the looks. All of it plays in when guys are buying this stuff. Because if it looks like junk, they're absolutely not interested. But the other thing that I've noticed too, when my grandpa was selling, everybody came in, they already had their financing lined up at the bank. When my dad was selling, eh, we were offering more loans for financing. And now, these days, yes, we do some loans. Very few guys have financing lined up with their own personal bank. Actually, we're doing a lot more leasing as well. There's a fair amount of things that have changed over that time that's kind of interesting.
0: So you've been around this block a few times and you've seen your father and your grandfather. What is the most common advice that you've had for customers? Or what do you wish that they would know or do differently that would, you know, help them, help you, everybody wins?
1: That's a little bit of a loaded question. So (laughs) there (laughs) are a ton of things that I could talk about. But one thing that I would want to focus on primarily is, Farming is not easy. For anybody to walk into it thinking that it is, they might need to reevaluate. There's ups and downs and big ups and downs. Don't kid yourself. Everybody else is experiencing it as well. People need to be more aware of their mental health going into farming. If you don't have that person that you can lean on or be able to go talk to in confidentiality somewhere... You need to find somebody because if you don't, you can really have a bad go. I have seen more demand for that over the last probably ten years than I have ever before. Sure. And so I do think that people need to be more cognizant of what is going on around them and be aware of the people around you.
0: That surprises it it shouldn't surprise me, but it um That's not the way that I expected that question to be answered, but I I, I appreciate, (laughs) no, no, I appreciate that because we have actually had some mental health um, professionals and some people that work in the resiliency, especially in ag on this program too. So what you said just backed up exactly what they said.
1: So I appreciate that. Absolutely. There's a lot of other things that these guys need to focus on too, but That's important. But uh, the second thing I would probably point out is these younger guys don't try to get too big too fast. Mm -hmm. Yes. Because the financial and mental strain on that is unbelievable. And when it's flying high and you're buying a ton of equipment, you're buying all this stuff, and then all of a sudden that market makes a correction it gets really tough really fast. And that's probably, for the younger guys, one of my recommendations. Along with that, if you do decide to get into any custom or even just for your own farm, I highly recommend having an excellent bookkeeper or CPA. Because, well, and the bookkeeper is probably more important than even the CPA, because if you're doing custom work it needs to be built, and it needs to be done quickly and correctly. Yep,
0: for that turnaround. For so
1: that's, that's probably the last thing that I would probably hit on with that.
0: Well, that sounds good. Thanks, Dan, for helping us better understand the equipment side of ag. We haven't really talked about that.
1: Absolutely. Thank you for having me.
0: And thank you to our listeners for tuning in. We'll catch you next time with more guests and topics related to the current ag climate.